0: Thanks for listening to The Vine. We're a new church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope the sermon helps you in doing that.
1: Good morning. The scripture reading this morning is from the book of Genesis and Judges. Genesis 1, 6 through 10. And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called us, called the expanse sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas and God saw that it was good. Judges 6, 11 through 16. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, "'The Lord is with you, mighty warrior.'" Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord, he has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Well, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I, I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. This is the word of the Lord.
0: We are on the second week of our series called Beginnings, and this series really is an experiment of sorts. This uh, series is all about what to do with this longing that many of us have for new beginnings, for fresh starts. Is this just merely a human longing, or might this be placed within inside of us by the hand of God? And so uh, we have here this beautiful passage in Genesis that tells us how it began. It began in verse 6 for this, the second day of creation. This is where we are, the second week in our series. And God said, let there be a vault or an expanse between the waters to separate the water from water. So God made this, this vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. So God's work on this second day of creation is to separate things apart, to pull things apart. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. It's interesting here, on the first day of creation, what we found was before God created anything, there was this, as the Hebrew language explains, there is this soup of inky blackness. This just absolute chaos, this Orders, orderlessness. there's just nothing just but darkness. And God, using his word, he used and called out light into the darkness. So the first day, last week when we gathered, we talked about how light comes in unexpected places, and unexpected times. But with this week, we actually find God doing something altogether different. God, on this second day, begins by separating things, pulling them apart, and making this expanse, or this vault. Why did he have to separate things out? Why do you have to pull things apart? Well, the reality is for our life, as well as what we find on this day, for us to experience new beginnings, oftentimes there has to be a season of sifting, of separating. Why? Because it has to make room for what God has in store and in plan. The Hebrew word for this word expanse or vault is rekaya. Which is an interesting word, the the root word for rakaya is raka, which means deep anger. Like absolute, like gut-wrenching anger. And so for me, when I think about that, and what the word rakaya also means is the fact that to be separated out. It's like what a, a blacksmith does to separate soft metal. It hammers it out, it separates it out. So being hammered out and anger typically go hand in hand. Like, who, enjoy, who, who would like to invite that into their life? God, would you hammer me out? Would you sift and separate me in my life? No one wants that. But that's what happens on day two. There's a season of being separated, being, uh, experiencing being hammered out. And this is hard. This is the first test if whether or not you really want a new beginning. Will you actually allow God to sift you? No one would want that. But the promise is that this is what happens in our life. Being hammered out is what what follows our beginnings. For me, I remember our first year of marriage. That's a hammering out for some people. You come in with marriage with like this just perfect ideal to what it could be, and then all of a sudden, this beautiful beginning, all of a sudden you start figuring out that there's also this hammering that happens, right? And mostly it has to do with me, like, for me, I remember a time where, oh, this is awful, that Jen and I, she, we were traveling on our honeymoon uh, of all times, and she bought me a bag of trail mix. It was so, like so nice of her to think of me while I'm, we're in an airplane, she buy me some trail mix. And so we sit down, and, uh, and I'm enjoying my trail mix. You know, it's like the, the type that's like the pecans and walnuts, the raisins, but the M&Ms are in there, right? It's like the big payoff. And so I'm sitting there enjoying my trail mix, and I look over, and Jen, she's like, hey, would you mind if I have some? And I give her the bag, and I'm reading my book. And after a while, I go, oh, yeah, I forgot my trail mix. And I, I get it back, and then I start eating it. And I'm like, ah, a raisin, a walnut. I look down. She had gone through the whole bag, <laughs> ate all the M&Ms, and my first response was like, The injustice of this. I got so angry at her. And I remember, I was, like, embarrassingly so, where, like, right afterwards, I was like, oh, my gosh, why do I care so much about This was a gift. And just the embarrassment of, like, on our honeymoon. Wait, good way to kick it off is, like, get really upset about the lack of M&Ms in your trail mix. We oftentimes, with the beginnings of our life, we come to reality that we have to experience change and transformation And this is what happens when God lovingly begins to cause separation in our life, to sift us. Beginnings challenge us. Even last week, if you guys remember the story of Moses, how light broke in in an unexpected time to Moses when he thought his life was written, the script was over with, and he was forgotten. And God breaks into the darkness and out of grace reminds him of who he is. Such a good passage. So like grace-filled and warming. But then what does God tell them to do? Go back to Egypt. The one place you don't want to go to, it's time for you to go back there. Why? Because you have to be hammered out. You're going to have to learn how to trust me in the midst of this. The light that breaks into our life will always lead to rakaya, a deep, deep separation of being hammered out. This draws out doubt, brings about pain, And some of us are unwilling to be expanded. But if we are willing to trust in this, that God might do something new in our life. This was the case for a man named Gideon. Gideon was a part of the Hebrew nation. If you guys remember the story of Moses, Moses was used by God to help deliver the people out of Egypt. They were brought into the promised land. And after a while, the Hebrew people, Israel, started forgetting about God. They forgot about who God was and who they were. And so what happened was, after a time of forgetting, they began to worship the gods of the nation surrounding them, even the enemies of, their, of theirs. And something happened. While they forgot about God, all of a sudden they began to be conquered by their enemies. And so during Gideon's time, the Midianites were plundering Israel, were taking the resources, and most of the people had left their homes and were living in caves. Remember the darkness we talked about last week? This was the darkness of this community. And so what happens in this, in this dark place, God's word comes to Gideon as we heard read earlier. And remember how it starts off in verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak where Gideon was, threshing wheat in a wine press. All right, so the key to understand this whole story is this idea of threshing. This is like a literary tool that the writer used to 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 speak of something deeper. What does it mean to thresh? What uh, what does threshing mean? Tracy, would you mind, I know that you're totally not expecting this, would you come up here? I need a a volunteer, just for a second. Yes, I'm serious, I'm very much serious. (laughs) All right. Okay, will you come up here? Thank you. Hey, this is Tracy, by the way. Can we give her a hand? She's a little nervous. Okay, so you're gonna stand here with this box for a little bit. Okay, so what does it mean to thresh? So people, they would cut their crops, and they would harvest all their crops, and in that crops would be uh, that which they could use to eat, so like the actual grain, and then it would have chaff, that which uh, wasn't helpful, wasn't useful, and you couldn't eat. And so they would have to figure out how to separate, remember this is our theme of this morning, Uh, how how to separate these two things, that which is good to that which is unhelpful. And so they would oftentimes, one of the ways in which they did this, is they would go to the threshing floor. Typically it was on the top of a hill and there was a breeze going by. And they would uh, start to thresh it. So Tracy, what I need you to do, mm-hmm. now this is going to be a little tricky. I think you can do it. So if you would hold this and if you would just fan it. Will you fan that for me, please? This this direction. Yes. And so what they would do, yeah, keep doing it. They would do it and they would just throw up that which they harvested. And what would happen would be, you're doing a great job, by the way. What would happen is after a while, the chaff would blow away and the kernels would continue to fall down. Thank you. You are done. Thank you. And so after threshing, after a while, this great separation would happen. And it's interesting. So the key of this whole story was the fact that Gideon and these people had to be sifted. They had to experience separation if they were going to have a new beginning. But we find here, where is Gideon threshing wheat? In a wine crate. Wine press. This is kind of like a bowl where people would stomp their wines and this is the last place that you would want to thresh wheat. Why? Because it's a bowl. It's it's like the opposite of what you would do with a threshing floor. And you have to wonder, why was he doing it? Well, to keep it from the Midianites. He was doing this because he was afraid and he was hiding out. So we find Gideon in a place where he needs to thresh but he is in the wrong place to do so. That God wants to begin to move Gideon into a place where he can be sifted. And that which needs to be lost is lost. So Gideon comes in and say, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You, you coward who are hiding, you're a mighty warrior. The Lord is with you. This provokes uh, an issue of two different issues for uh, Gideon. Go to the next slide, please. Pardon me, Lord. This is such a kind way. Pardon me, my Lord. But if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all of his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? When we are in a place of darkness and God comes to us with these like nice promises, promises that we might share with one another, our gut response might be, really? Where where have you been? You know, it just begins with really challenging questions. All right, God, if if your word is actually true, then where where have you been? I've heard of all these stories about how you've rescued other people, but if you look, if I look at my life, it seems like you've been really absent. And so Gideon's sifting begins with tough questions. And by the way, God is big enough for your tough questions. God's not afraid of your questions. If God's afraid of your questions, he might be a really, really small God. But what God actually wants, God wants all of us. And that includes our faith, our courage, as well as our doubt, as well as our questions. And so, Gideon starts pushing this towards God. Where were you? Where are you? In verse 14 and 16, I want you to see how God responds. The Lord turned to him and said, I'm going to smite you. I'm going to destroy you for questioning me. No. No. Out of grace, he says, go in the strength you have and save Israel. Out of Midian's hands, am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? So now he's going from questioning God to now he's questioning who? Himself. Gideon doesn't believe in God or himself. W- me? I, it can't be me. Uh, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So like I'm like the least... Least likely person that you would ever want to call a mighty warrior. And we see here that God starts sifting Gideon's view, not only of himself, but also of God. What you see in life is that self-discovery and God-discovery will always go hand in hand. They're always connected. Thomas Merton said it beautifully. There's only one problem on which all of my existence, my peace, and my happiness depend. To discover myself in discovering God. And if I find him, I will find myself. And if I find my true self, I will find him. What we see Thomas Merton saying is, if you actually want to discover who you are, the place to do it is in God. We are only understood in relationship to God. Meanwhile, if you want to know God but could care less about your own life and your own existence, you'll have a very shallow, small view of God. Why? Because God shows up in your life, and God wants you to know him in relationship. We've been created in the image of God, so it only makes sense for us to discover ourselves by discovering who God is. And for Gideon, he needed both of those things. He needed to discover who God was as well as himself. So Gideon begins to set forth a set of tests, and they're, they're actually hilarious. We don't have time to look at them. But he has a set of tests of, what if God, if you're real, will you do this? Will you make the ground wet? and I this blanket dry? Okay, now you've done that. Could you make the, the blanket dry and the ground, the, the ground wet all around it? And, and God somehow graciously and patiently goes with it. God understands that our sifting is a process. And after this, Gideon leaves with a flicker of hope. That he's moved from the wine press now to the threshing floor with God. And courage and hope are the light that begin to take root into his heart. And after Gideon's been threshed, now God turns to the community. So Gideon left and said, okay, I'm going to try to lead an army against Midianites. In Judges 7, 1 through 3, listen to this story. I love it. Early in the morning, Gideon and all of his men camped at the spring of Harad. The camp of, of Midian was north of them in the valley. So they're getting ready to go to battle. And and Gideon hears the words that no soldier wants to hear. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. (laughs) I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. And what's the problem with that? What's the fear of hearing that my own strength has saved me? Well, the problem is the fact that if that were to happen... They might discover who they are, but they never will understand who God was, how God delivers, how God saves. And so what does God ask them to do? Now announce to the army that anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. Starts off with 32,000, and God tells Gideon, say, all right, anyone who's afraid, you can leave. And... 22,000 of them leave, leaving 10,000. And I'm sure that Gideon was like, okay, great. Uh, uh, thanks a lot for this. It's a great lesson. You've proved your point. Let's just work with what we have here. In verse 4, God still wants to sift, right? This is what God's doing. God's sifting this community. But the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many men. Take them down to the water, and listen to this verb. I love this. And I will thin them out. I will thresh them out. I'm going to cause more and more of what's unneeded to leave. I will thin them out. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. And so how does he go about doing this? Um, How does he thin them out? Go to the next slide. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. So this is, there's two different type of people. Gideon's going to have all the army go to the water. Some were going to get down their knees and drink the water, while others cup it up and lap it like a dog. So obscure, right? So kind of bizarre. I love scripture passages like this. And so you have to imagine Gideon... He hears this from God and goes, okay, I've been sifted. I know God's real, but this is crazy, right? This is bizarre. And I, what I, I love picturing this. Gideon sitting by the river, and calling the whole army, 10,000. Think of how long that would take. 10,000, like sifting takes a long time. Like God's patience, sifting takes a long time. And for Gideon to imagine these soldiers walking in and going, all right, I hope you drink it right. You know, like, here comes Thor, you know, big, muscular Thor. Please don't get down on your knees and drink. And he gets down to drink. Oh, no. And here's, like, the sledgehammer. That's his nickname. No one even knows his name because he's just the sledgehammer. He gets down to drink on his knees. And here comes Timmy. Gideon doesn't want Timmy. Timmy walks up, and Gideon says, uh, you're going to have to put down your toy lightsaber if you want to drink, uh, <laughs> he puts down his toy lightsaber. Oh, and the pain of Gideon when he watches Timmy cup his hand, and he, he's trying to drink, but the mouth guard is in the way. I mean, you know, like. and just Gideon looking as ten thousand turn into how many? Three hundred. Think of like just personally, like slow this story down. Think about Gideon remembering the promises from God that I'm going to be with you. You're going to see your enemies destroyed, and God starts sifting Gideon's plan. Because we have plans in our life. All right, God, I'm going to to obey you. I'm going to do what you tell me to, and I have a plan of how that's going to work, right? And God sifts that as well. Not only are you going to have to trust the size of your army, but you're going to have to trust something even more. Why? Because sifting develops trust. If there's anything at the bottom of this threshing floor, at the end of it, it has to be trust. God wants to grow our trust of him. Not only did they sift them through numbers, but also God wanted to sift them in trusting God's plan. And so God gives Gideon the grandiose plan of how he's going to destroy this huge Midian army. And again, imagine Gideon pitching this idea to the 300 warriors with them, right? All right, so we have 300 people. That means uh, we're going to have 100 people on this side of their camp, 100 people on this side of the camp, and 100 people on that side of the camp. And uh, so here's the plan. Uh, We're going to start with torches and clay pots over the torches. And the people are like, "Uh, where's our weapons? Okay, but uh, just stick with me. All right, so we have torches and clay pots over the torches. And then Timmy says, well, won't the torch go out if the pot can't, you know, cover, if it covers the fire? Don't worry about that, Timmy. Just stay with me, right? And that when, it's my, when I call it, we're going to break the pots, light's going to explode all around the camp. And someone says, then we take out our crossbows, then we take out our arrows and our swords. No, uh, then you're gonna, we're all going to take out trumpets, and we're all going to just blow our trumpets, but, like, super loud, <laughs> like, deafeningly loud, <laughs> And like just such a weird idea, right? Such a bizarre idea. And but again, God wanted to sift this community. Why? Because they were having to learn to trust God with everything, with everything. In the Old Testament, the trumpet sound was always a reminder that God can fight for you. It was always reminders, a rally call. God, will you show up? Will you fight for us? So when they surrounded this camp, they were blowing their trumpets together as one community. 100% of them wholeheartedly were declaring, God has to show up or we're defeated. God God is going to have to show up. And light broke in around this camp. The the light of God just, just went into the darkness. And if you remember from John what we talked about last week, the light goes into the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. So what happens in verse 22? When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other. This is the Midian camp. To turn on each other with their swords. And the army fled to Beth Shittah. So what happened here is when the lights burst around this camp and the trumpets sounded, it was so confusing that God also had a hand in this, of confusing this, the Midianites. That they actually turned against each other and started fighting each other. And then began to flee. So these 300 people, because they were willing to be sifted, because they were willing to follow through with this, they defeated an army with an an inadequate size of uh, soldiers with a really inadequate plan, but with a really mighty God who can do much with that which is left over. And I think for some of us, what's holding us back through from a breakthrough in our life is that we really don't trust God with the little that we might have. We really have a hard time believing God can take the 300 people with us and actually win a victory. We have a hard time trusting that God can actually use this, the minimal things that we have in his hands, his mighty hands, do something powerful. It's interesting, if you were to read this story, Do you know where this battle ends after they're fleeing? It's beautiful. so so, such beautiful literature. It ends, they find the the leader of this clan, the Midianites, they find him and they defeat him at a wine press. He was hiding in a wine press. So Gideon, imagine returning to the place where God first met him, where God said, you're going to be a mighty warrior. I'm going to show up. And we're going to defeat your enemies. For Gideon to return to a wine press on this side of being sifted and knowing that God is a God that can do miracles. That God is a God that meets us and uses us and knows us fully. This is not just Gideon's story, this is our story. For us, if we want to experience the newness in life that many of us long for, we are going to have to be willing to be sifted just like Gideon was. So are you willing? Are you willing to be sifted? Are you willing to release that which is needed to experience new beginnings? Jesus is a great sifter. Look here in Matthew 3, 11 through 12. This is speaking of, uh, John the Baptist is saying these words, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one, being Jesus, one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor. This is the idea of Jesus, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is like the loving, kind Jesus that we all know of. He also has a winnowing fork in his hand, and he gathers us at the threshing floor, and he is going to sift us. He is going to begin to sift us. You know, when I grew up, I remember reading this and actually thinking that what this was talking about is that God was going to sift all of people, and the good people like me, we're going to experience the comforts of being taken into the barn. With all of them, whoever them is, we'll experience eternal fire. As I'm growing older now, I'm beginning to think that Jesus' fork is pointing in my direction. That there's sifting that needs to happen in my heart, in my soul. And Jesus' look with this, this winnowing fork is that of love and grace. Knowing that out of love, I need to be sifted. God's not done with me yet. And God's not done with you. What needs to be sifted in your life? This is the big question for this morning. What needs to be sifted in your life? It might be Relationships need to be sifted. It might be bad habits and rhythms in your life that's holding you back. They need to be sifted to make room for God. It might be your frantic grasp on comfort and control. Maybe God wants to sift that as well. Out of love, he just he wants to take these things and have them be freed from us. The reality is, is that God is much larger than all of us imagine. And if God is much larger then all we imagine that there needs to be space in our hearts and our souls so that God could bring about new beginnings. And these beginnings are like any other birth, that they are painful, but they end up with great joy. That to be stretched out, to be expanded, to be sifted is painful, but you know with God that it ends with great joy. Brene Brown said it like this. She said, uh, when I think about God and the pain that I go through in my life, I really want God to be an epidural. <laughs> to knock out the pain so that at the end of it, I can just hold my baby without experiencing much of that. But in reality, God is m- much more like a midwife who sits at the side of my bed, holds my hand, looks at me in the eye, and says, Push. For me, I think that this is the sifting that happens in our life, that God holds us by our hand and gives us the same promise that he gave Moses, the same promise we gave Gideon. I'm going to be with you, and we're going to get through this. And I promise at the end of this, you're going to be better and bigger because of it. Friends, this is the second day of beginnings. Are you willing to trust the threshing that God wants to do in your heart and your life? It's only if you're willing to do this that God will make room for what he has dreamed for you.